Hello and welcome to IO Thinker, where international affairs are discussed. I'm Martin Zupko. The war in Ukraine has changed the fundamentals of the EU's energy security and brought Norway to the center of energy geopolitics. To illustrate, Norway's share of the German gas supply has increased from just under 20% in 2021 to 48% in 2023. Also, there is a significant income in Norway from the energy, from the oil and gas, which is approximately $125 billion in 2022, which, according to sources, is $100 billion more than in 2021. On the other hand, there is often a heated discussion in Norway about the EU, especially when adopting new EU laws and regulations. For example, the EU's clean energy for all European package. And also, it's not only EU. There are more energy partners of Norway, as Norway supplies, uh, for instance, natural gas to United Kingdom. Therefore, we're going to speak about Norwegian energy security, strategy and geopolitics with Professor Ole Gunnar Austwick. Professor Austwick, welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Ole Gunnar Astwig is a Norwegian economist and political scientist specializing in political economy, oil and gas policy and European integration. Currently, he is a professor of political economy and petroleum economics at the Inland Norway University of Applied Sciences. Also an appointed senior fellow at the John F. Kennedy School of Government, Harvard University. In addition, Professor Gunnar Austwig has been working with Norwegian Institute of International Affairs and Norwegian Business School and Statistics Norway. So we divided this interview into three parts. We're going to deal with oil, with gas and other energy export from Norway. So let's start with the first question. And I'm interested how Norway develop or evolve in oil's export strategy in the few in the past few decades. Uh, what were the milestones and what do you consider as very important time or very important uh, events that shaped Norwegian oil export? Well, I, th I think first I have to go back to the very start of the Norwegian uh, oil industry history in the 1960s, 1970s, where you had a very strong across parties uh, opinion that it should be controlled, developed, and, and governed by the state. So uh, the state had a hand at a very, very, from the very start. Uh, they made, uh, they wrote something ca called the 10 oil commandments, directing that you should have a state-owned oil company, which was Statoil, now Equinor, the petroleum directorate to control the industry and the uh, and other other entities and, and policies in order to secure that you can develop a national Norwegian oil industry um, to maintain the economic and political control. So we're not ending up in Dutch disease or resource curses that like many other resource rich countries have, have done. So that was the start and it was, it was building up in the 1970s and 80s with this state governed uh, industry uh, and Statoil at the time was the name and was a very important instrument in achieving this. Then came a period where you, the, the industry was more mature. They were actually slowly competitive towards uh, foreign suppliers, foreign companies. 
the foreign companies, big companies like Mobile, Exxon, and others were involved from the very start because they had the knowledge about the industry and Norway did not. So you had they were used as a training ground to to, to achieve this competence. But when achieved, uh, it happens more or less at the same period of time when you have also a more liberal uh, attitude in world affairs, like after 1991, when the, the end of the Soviet Union and, uh, and the more liberal ideas took, took place all over the world and in, in Europe. So then the industry was more uh, on its own, although the state has maintained the um, possibility to control and direct uh, developments. And it takes like seventy-eight uh, percent of the net profit to the to the state cover, besides having like forty percent direct ownership in the in fields. So they have a cash flow which is mainly consisting of this seventy-eight percent taxes and the cash flow from the direct financial investments owned by the state, uh, which is all then taken out of the economy and put into a petroleum fund. This happened in the early 1990s, and the fund grow, grew very big, and it was very important in order to, to, to split the money in order to avoid uh, inflation and uh, appreciation of currency and such things that you have a Dutch disease experiences. So you have an involvement that you have more more agencies, more companies, uh, and and in in in, in extraction investment and extractions, the the licenses were get given to different groups of companies to exchange uh, experiences to uh, to control each other and, and and other things in order to to develop each each field as uh, efficient as possible. Uh, so you have this interaction between the state and the companies has been involving from a lot of state in the 1780s and then less and less. And now it is more a company view, but still the, the Ministry of Oil and Energy has the, has the right to avoid the licenses, control it, and the system is still in, in place that you should have a, a political decision whether or not to invest and produce and export. In terms of export, uh, it was uh, yes, uh, quite different uh, situations for oil and for natural gas. Um, Norway has always maintained that uh, the sales of oil and gas from Norway should be a pure commercial affair, not a strategic affair which I think is perhaps a wise way of putting it in words, but of course it has strategic implications for, for receiving countries, for the EU, as for a competitor in Russia, for instance, and as for us, ourselves. But we have a very low official profile on it that we shall be a pure commercial line, not, uh, not as the Russians do, they use it as a political instrument to achieve things. No? As we have seen, for instance, a long time between Russia and Ukraine uh, as a weapon, even. We are not there. We are trying to neutralize it as far as it possible. And it's, of course, more, less possible now than it was after the invasion of Ukraine. Yes. 
You mentioned that the state granted licenses to the companies. And can we say a few words about what sort of companies, mostly Norwegian or international companies? So I'm just basically asking how open is this market for the world? I think, first of all, the Norwegian oil industry has been largely a success in terms of what I mentioned in political and economic control and in building a Norwegian industry. So the, in the starting phases, like 70s, 80s, and a bit onwards, you had the big international oil companies involved, ExxonMobil, Shell, all these uh, big ones. Then... Uh, and they were investing in a large, huge fields. Then there have been a withdrawing more of them from from the from from Norway, and it has besides Equinor, the state-owned company, mm-hmm. you got a number of smaller companies growing, in investing in smaller fields, which some of them have turned out to be big fields. So the mixture of companies involved now is is more manifold. And uh, and and more like uh, in in international um, context, more unknown. They're Scandinavian or 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 Norwegian companies growing up. Right, diversification always comes as a question when you export the oil. So, first question: What challenges does Norway face in diversification of the oil export? And if you can mention a few main countries uh, that Norway exports the oil into you know it's uh, oil can be transported all over the world uh, on tankers so uh, but uh, the transportation cost makes it uh, usual that for most oil exporting countries they sell most of it to the neighboring uh, the closest countries and for norway that's the european union so that's a, absolutely the dominating market is 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 the European Union and and also then in Northern Europe is the biggest within the EU context. Um, the same for, for for natural gas. We will come back to natural gas perhaps, but uh, even closer to Europe is the natural gas export, where you have all the pipelines linked up uh, in a permanent basis. You can say to different places in Germany, uh, Belgium, France, and also to the UK. The UK is important as a part of, a part of so the Western Europe part. They also, in, in natural gas, also got a pipeline to Poland recently, just opened the day after the explosions in the North Stream, in the Baltic Sea. But natural gas is a different thing because you have the pipeline issue uh, uh, linking linking Norwegian uh, exports more or less 100% to the European Union and the UK. Uh, for gas, you had plans to sell a lot of LNG to the United States. We developed a huge uh, field in northern Norway called uh, Snow White, built on the purpose to sell LNG to the United States. And the United States were preparing to import a lot of energy to to cover their demand. But uh, then come, came the shale revolution, and the U.S. is now the biggest uh, natural gas exporter or, or, or LNG ex- exporter. So it's changed fundamentally. So also the LNG from Norway, in northern Norway, are going to is going to to Europe. 
Speaking about oil sector in Norway, the crucial question is investment. And I'm interested, what sort of investments uh, is Norway pursuing in infrastructure? Because you need to transport oil, as you said, by tankers or by pipelines. So in which stage is this, uh, this uh, element of the energy sector in Norway? And if you can also mention a few, let's say, important investments made till today. Well, in, in, a, in a startup in the 1970s, it was thought that the oil should be transported to Norway and then sold onwards. It also had plans to build a huge uh, refining industry. Some of it was, was actually built at Mongstad, north of Bergen. But uh, quite soon, uh, it ended that we most of the oil is loaded on the platform uh, as, um, uh, what is called called? Uh, oh, well taken directly from the platform to the marketplace, um, which makes it more, 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 more flexible. You have a huge uh, Stadtfjord field. You have the troll, which is both was gas, it's also oil now, uh, in the southern part of the, the Northern Sea. Uh, and then the, the, the development has been going north and north all the time. So, I mentioned the Snow White for natural gas, but it's also oil fields up further north in the Barents Sea. So it's developing closer to the Russian demarcation uh, line, which are oil fields lo with uh, loaded uh, on a platform uh, and then transported to the, well, as I said, uh, anywhere in principle, but mostly to. Some of it to U.S. also, but most of it to, to, to European harbors. Yeah. Also, we see Norway as a as a huge advocate for human rights and everything which is connected to the equality. And I want to ask if you have any national guidelines or maybe regulations when you export energy, or for instance, in this case, oil. And if you have any restrictions to export oil to countries where we have authoritarian governments or maybe human rights are, are not followed fully, you know, because this is this is sort of ethical question. And also my students in Scotland, they ask, you know, like how those countries deal with this, you know, that they advocate high ethical standards on one hand and then they're dealing with the energy, which is a very hard business worldwide. Well, that's a good question. It's a hot debate. In Norway, you have it in a, what you call it, the climate split, that we should be actually, the, some say we should stop uh, investing in oil because it, the future is green and we should invest more in the green, green uh, energies, renewables. Um, and that's a hot official debate about this. Uh, but in terms of selling what we actually produce of gas and, uh, and oil is, is not much, uh, it's not politicized in that, this way. So you can sell this, uh, these cargoes for oil, yeah, which is the most flexible one. And they're going to, to, in principle, I think anywhere. I think it was some discussion about Israel uh, once. Um, you have different opinions, different camps, the views on Israel and Palestine conflict. Um, but I don't think there are any restrictions in selling oil to, to, to Israel either. We have, however, the ethical uh, restrictions when we think about the petroleum fund. 
which has been, as you mentioned, is growing. Is Norway has made a lot of money on uh, the high prices recently, but it is lasting for a long time that we have huge revenues from this on the hand of state. As I said, state takes 70-80% of, uh, of the net profit, uh, the economic profit on the companies, plus they have like 40% ownership of the resources. The rest. So most of the economic profit goes to the hand of the state. And this money are all invested in the petroleum fund, which is, uh, I think, the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world now, like 12,000 billion euros in the size of that. And this is, is invested in, in shares and obligations and some of it in property. And this investment have some ethical restrictions that you shall have uh, in terms of it should not be invested in companies using child labor or have any type of an uh, ethical behavior defined in certain ways. Uh, but it's mostly like, uh, and, and, and uh, it's not invested in, uh, in uh, it's mostly in Western countries, no? It's in, in, in Europe, United States, Japan, this type of things. So the, the restrictions are mostly going towards the companies they invest in. So they have an ethical committee which are evaluating this, and you have a number of companies that are actually list, blacklisted. Uh, for, for that. But that's the, for the investment of the financial capital coming from the oil, but it's then financial, yes. Right. Let's uh, go to the gas sector for a moment. And of course, the biggest question that everyone wants to ask is the geopolitical implications of the war in Ukraine for Norway before and after in terms of European Union. So what can we say about this this highly discussed topic in the or among uh, energy scholars worldwide, because everyone is speaking about this topic. There are more camps, you know. There are people who are portrayed Norway as a as a country that basically saved the European Union after cut of the Russian energies. And on the other hand, we have the camp arguing that uh, Norway is profiting on this war in Ukraine. So we have like. Two opinions, and and let's let's put some clarification and in, in your opinion for this question. Great, great. So this is a challenging uh, topics, of course, because it's bringing Norway into the geopolitics of energy so clearly, which Norwegian government didn't want to, <laughs> because we have this commercial line, official line that it shall not be, it shall be a trade with anything like bridges or cars or whatever, this should also be political neutral, but obviously it's, it's not. <laughs> and before the invasion, we have uh, we have like we have two, three or four gas suppliers to the European Union. It's Russia, Norway, and Algeria, and Libya, Azerbaijan also. But Russia and Norway is the two big ones, at least in Northern Europe. And uh, they we had a competition in some way, but we also have some common interests with the with the, um, uh, Russians in terms of prices, stability, market organization, and so on. Um, but when the after the invasion, of course, Norway is 
entirely on the Ukrainian and Western side politically. And it brought us into a situation where we should boycott the, the sanctioned Russian uh, gas imports that Norwegian gas became more important. So when uh, you have the the sanction, you had also plus the explosions in the, in the Baltic Sea, the Nord Stream, Norway became the single most important supplier of natural gas to, to the European Union, which was a big concern for all these consuming countries being depending on this gas too. So Norway and, and Northern Europe especially is interdependent on uh, this uh, gas trade, uh, making, uh, uh, making it necessary to close cooperation. And yes, the whole gas market has been built in a close cooperation between governments and companies on both sides. That's how you develop the pipeline and the infrastructure all over. Uh, which is also the case with Russia and the EU, actually. So, uh, so we become more important, and the prices went high. But I think, to some extent, it's exaggerated how much the the the, the invasion uh, meant for the price prices because they went high also before the invasion in 2021 because of the China recovering after the pandemic uh, and you had high prices in the summer and fall of 2021 already but the invasion came on top of that which which made it even even higher prices uh, and of course then Norway is profiting on on this in a tremendous high gas prices for a while but it's the sum of, of the global demand for gas and and the Disappearing of a lot of Russian gas that made it, made this high, high prices. So it's not only the the invasion, but uh, then again, Norway has been, I think, one of the biggest contributors to support Ukraine in terms of different type of helps and and also weapons. Uh, so some of this money is going 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 to Ukraine. Uh, afterwards um, yeah can you see any pressure or any elements of this geopolitics in internal norwegian politics like because you know it's more money more responsibility more countries more diplomatic ties everything comes with that so i would like to know like how the internal politics of norway is dealing with that especially your government no, I think uh, again, it has been very like um, we are a small country. Doesn't mean anything to to any of the big ones, and so we can actually play a small state uh, <laughs> politics um, still. But this has obviously changed a bit with the war, and especially after the explosions in the Baltic Sea, where you saw that how vulnerable the infrastructure is. And Norway has like I think is eight or nine thousand kilometers of natural gas pipelines, which is pretty difficult to de defend, no? And we saw also that immediately when this happened, the other countries like Germany, France, Britain came with their navies to to help surveillance and control. So so obviously it was a clear sign that this is strategically important. And also the the Equinor and Gosco, which is governing this 
natural gas infrastructure came under the Security Act in Norway just a few days after the explosions, which was, I mean, a demonstrated fact that this is actually also security policy uh, for Norway, which has been the case for a long time for Eastern European countries like Ukraine, Poland, and others. They've seen energy security as security policy, and they have been fighting for that within the EU for a long time. <laughs> Uh, without being heard in the West, but I think now the Western part of the EU has also accepted that this is security policy. So also for Norway, and we have this double-sided being a Western part of this Western European general political uh, cooperation, and another situation that we are the single important natural gas exporter. But I think it's not entirely well developed how to deal with this dual situation and the specialities of our our location and situation as, as such a big uh, petroleum exporter so it is in the development but the acceptance that this is strategically important is is quite clear and uh, you know geopolitics now is not only the control of territory it's also about how uh, the, the control of territory or, or resources affect or is affected by international organizations and markets and behavior of other countries and companies. So it's a more mixture. So you can control something and it doesn't mean anything if, if it's nullified by international, other international affairs. And vice versa, it can be re re reinforced if um, in other cases. So this will also affect Norway, I think, in my view. It's not official policy, in my view. I think it will affect us also diplomatic and economically in our relations with, uh, especially the European Union uh, in, in the time ahead, yeah. You mentioned pipelines, and there is a trendy name, pipeline geopolitics. So the question is, Norway and pipelines, uh, how do you see the current infrastructure? And is there any discussion about, let's say, to build another one or maybe to build different connections to Europe in terms of gas transport? Or Norway will keep it as it is and LNG uh, carriers will basically carry the gas to Europe. So how is this and, and what sort of implications can you see in this area? Well, as I said, the, the Norwegian pipeline infrastructure is all linked up to Northern Europe, and uh, which we are actually stuck. We are depending on using these pipelines in the future. And for the time being, the receiving countries are also depending on it. But you mentioned LNG, which is a major change in the natural gas business, where you have the natural gas market has become global, not only European, and the prices are set globally, not only in Europe. Uh, and uh, most of the Russian gas, which has left the market after the invasion, has been replaced by American gas as LNG. So, uh, so, uh, and more countries have been expanding or building new receiving terminals for LNG, so the market is changing a lot. The meaning that for Norwegian gas, you get a new type of competitors, not Russia primarily anymore, but it's a lot of different LNG exporters 
first of all, the United States, but also others, Qatar and more. So it it changed over time. And, and in my view, which is, I don't know if it's considered in the any type of government, but I think that to build more pipelines, to be stuck with more single uh, receivers will be quite uh, risky. Uh, that if, if we should expand the, uh, the capacity of export, if we should do that, I think it should be done by LNG expansion to be more flexible too. And the EU also has suggested that the long-term contract should not be uh, allowed anymore in after like in 20 years or something, uh, which is also making it more risky to depend on pipeline exports only. So today we are like 95% of the export is, is, is pipeline. Uh, so, uh, so this dependency, interdependency between Norway and the European may change over time to the disadvantage of Norway, it's possible. And by the way, is there a public support for those plans uh, to expand LNG uh, business and and you know to keep Norway with the international business in natural gas? Well, I think uh, it's no big discussion that the capacity should be expanded uh, at all. I think we export like 120 BCM per year now. Uh, and uh, I think it's more a question of the replacement of uh, reserves that are f falling, the, the, the fields are depleted, so you have to replace uh, some of it in order to maintain the capacity that we have. So I would say that it's, it's not a big discussion or any discussion about building more pipelines, maybe to build or re restructure them so it could be hydrogen in the future such things uh, and in terms of LNG expansion beyond the one that is in the northern Norway I think uh, surely companies have been considering it but it's a big decision if you should do that because it's quite expensive so most likely I would say that the capacity will pipeline capacity is there and it will be there hopefully with no explosions to come um, and, uh, and the challenge is to maintain the level in, in the future. If you take these high export levels after that uh, war in Ukraine started, it's increasing and increasing. So the people are naturally interested in, you know, how is Norway doing with the reserves? And uh, that comes with the investment, because if there is a new field, you need to develop the new field. So how is Norway ready for this? big export to European Union. We have a discussion in Norway. We've talked about it a little bit uh, already, that you have this climate split. Should we invest more to maintain production or should we move to more green alternatives? The companies and the governments goes for more investments. And uh, you can say that in, according to, to peak oil theories, you can say that the reserves are depleted, so it's empty. But you have different views on that. <laughs> um, in in, uh, in uh, Because the more you drill, the more you work with it, the more you find. So actually, when you look at the statistics back 50 years, reserves are no bigger than them <laughs> because of this technological development and shape. So it 
and and also in Norway we found more and we use commercially more of one field now than before. So uh, obviously the production will go down in the long term, depending what how long that is. <laughs> and we 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 will face an industry that will probably not be bigger. It's a question how it will how fast it will decline. But from a research point of view, I would assume nobody knows for sure, but if you look at history, it would probably be possible to maintain uh, a level like we have in the next decade or two at least. To support this um, export and foreign policy objectives, do you have any energy doctrine or strategy of Norway? You know, because when the European Union was dependent on Russia, all those politicians, they always check the Russian energy strategy, Russian energy objectives, you know, and all those documents. So I'm interested in, you know, and also for my students, how is Norway in that area? You know, we, we, Norway is not a member of the European Union. We are uh, having an EEA agreement, the European Economic Area, which means that we are part of the single market fully in all sectors except agriculture and fisheries. So energy is part of it. And Norway has adopted fully to the, the EU climate plans. So that part is part of EU policy. We implemented EU law and regulations in the same way as member states. Um, <clears throat> in terms of natural gas and oil, I think the EU sees Norway as a plus in order to, because it's, Consider a safe source, a friendly source, compared to most other oil-producing uh, uh, nations. There's more difficult relations than with Norway. So, the, again, we are, we are. I think Norway, Norwegian governments is trying to to behave within the single market rules and regulations in this term too. But obviously, in my view, that we have a special situation that we should also consider the interests of our uh, export uh, in terms of money. It affects our diplomacy and, and relations to other countries. It, it's not a, a, a political, it's a political issue too. Uh, and this is not developed very much in Norwegian official policy. But of course, it's changing a bit. So I'm, personally, I'm working with it too. To, to see how that is, that how can we actually develop uh, to, to, to support our own specific interest within the Western community, which I think is an overwhelming support in Norway for being a member of NATO. We are divided on the membership of EU, uh, but still we are more or less part of the EU anyway. So it's not a, not a big change, I think. Many many countries think Norway is a member, actually. So so uh, I think this is a work to be done to be defining this special position uh, of Norway um, because of our huge oil and gas uh, um, interests. The, the 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 profit we've taken from the last couple of years has not been part result from Norwegian policy. It's been events taking place that Norway benefited from. Now, either it's China or Russia or EU, whatever. Um, 
So it is not part of our strategy, it's just a commercial policy. I, I have a long time agreed that we should call it a pure commercial issue. And we can maybe say that still in the in the official terms, but you have to consider also that in reality it is affecting us um, in many ways. And Norwegian, uh, you know, and the outside world is thinking about Norway as a big oil and gas exporter and a big capital owner and investor, maybe as the biggest biggest uh, characteristic of Norway in Norwegian Norway no? and Norway is not only about oil and gas but there are also other energy exports so let's go through those ones uh, with professor Austwick so first ones first question does Norway export electricity and if so where this has been a major political issue in Norway, which is uh, actually dominating the debate much more than the questions of oil and gas uh, uh, exports and activities, because we have been expanding the transmission capacities of electricity between Norway and uh, Northern Europe. Denmark, Sweden, we had for a long time, even with Russia in the north, a small one. But now it is connected to German, uh, British uh, markets. So the price of uh, electricity is now uh, converging across Northern Europe in as one market, with many exceptions. And that means that Norwegian electricity prices is going up <laughs> because we had a, a more closed market and oversupply of uh, hydropower. Meaning that we had low, we have been having low prices for decades, and um, it's a huge debate whether or not this is acceptable that we have so high prices because we are, we are a small population, quite a big country, few people per square kilometer, uh, and it's cold, colder than in Prague and in other places. So we have a different situation than uh, most other countries because of just climate, natural things. So uh, this is a debate. We have uh, now uh, prices that are two to five times higher than we had a couple of years. So the government is heavily criticized for this, that they're not able to do something about it. Um, and... Um, it may be the biggest single issue that leads to such a tremendous decline in support for the current government, the high electricity prices imported from Europe. You would be surprised, but when I spoke about this topic with my students, they told me, like, I asked, you know, like, so what do you think? How, how expensive is electricity in Norway? And they said, well, they have everything. So they probably pay like 20 euros a month or something like that, you know, because they compared you with those countries from the Middle East where the oil is super cheap. And I said, like, well, I would recommend you to visit Norway and, you know, rent apartment for, let's say, two weeks. You will see that prices are not uh, that low in Norway. So so that's also, you know, quite a, a big contrast that you have hydro, you have gas and everything, but still you pay high prices. And also we all know that Prices generally are very high in Norway as a comparison to European Union. So that, that's that's interesting uh, 
implication of all that. The second one is hydrogen. You know, in the European Union, everyone is speaking about hydrogen as the next generation of fuel. But uh, what is the realistic expectation of hydrogen in Norway? And maybe you can elaborate a little bit about Norway as a potential supplier of hydrogen to the European Union in the next or upcoming years. No, actually, there's a lot of discussion on on the in the government too, uh, in the industry, how to make the blue hydrogen um, coming from natural gas then uh, more competitive, cheaper. Currently, it's too expensive to be competing with the other energies. So uh, that is a major question. But if so. Then it's also a question where it shall be produced at the at the entrance of the pipeline or the exit of the pipeline in the processing countries. In either case, the pipelines can be used for transportation. So I think it it all depends on the the technology te- technological change. Whether you also can get green hydrogen from from water which is even more expensive uh, now, but have a huge potential. So it's uh, it's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of money invested, also government money invested in making this feasible. So it, it's left to see. Currently, like I think it's like 95% of hydrogen is produced from natural gas and coal without capturing the CO2. While the blue hydrogen sort of is from Norway is with the capture of the CO2, while the water produced from water, you don't have that problem, but you have a high high cost. No? So it's all, on, I think, in the energy business, a lot of changes are actually taking place of technological reasons. You have political events uh, that takes place. You have the global warming. You have um, wars and things happening but when you see the mark which affects the market but when you see maybe the two most important changes over the last decade are technological you have for one the shale uh, revolution in the united states where you suddenly have unlimited more or less resources to produce oil and gas deep down and the cheap a bit comes so cheap so you can actually become independent, U.S. independent of importing oil and gas. Still, they import some oil, but they are being being the biggest LNG exporter and will grow and grow and grow without actually any limitations from the sources because of the technological change. It became cheap to produce. So LNG then adds to this big change to the natural gas market and, and make natural gas more attractive actually in the years ahead. I think the capacity of LNG export should be increased like 50% over the next two years only. The other big change is the technology is the cost reductions in solar energy, which has like uh, just a small fraction now of the cost as it was compared to 10 years ago, making solar energy the fastest growing renewable energy in in in, a, in the portfolio. And such changes might take place in the future too. So I think the hydrogen is waiting for a change. <laughs> maybe it comes, maybe it doesn't come. We don't know, but it could change a lot if 
they make it cost more cost effective. But when you see like the shale example and the solar example, they both existed a long time before the breakthroughs came. So without working with it, it will not come, <laughs> the, the, the breakthrough. So meaning that you really don't know, no, you don't know this, but you can expect things to happen as long as you invest in it. And the, in Norway, I think it's a, for hydrogen. It's a thought that the government wants to support the work on it in the belief that suddenly someone will actually find a cost-effective uh, way of, of producing it. Uh, but this change can come from anywhere. In China, maybe, most likely, <laughs> more likely, uh, because they're so big and so intense in it. What about the Arctic as the next domain? You know, Russians, Chinese and others, Canadians, they are interested in uh, natural reserves of the Arctic. And, and it's a big discussion because of environmental protection. Then you have the, you know, access to those areas. It's not easy to drill oil or, or take gas from the Arctic. How is Norway approaching uh, this domain? That's a good, 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 important question because, uh... Uh, as I said, uh, the Norwegian oil and gas developers have been moving north, closer and closer to the Norwegian, Norwegian Russian demarcation line. And the other country having uh, jurisdiction over the Arctic, the European, Eurasian Arctic is Russia. Uh, the other signatories of the Arctic, uh, Arctic Council is like, on the other part of the of the North Polar, Canada, US, and, and Denmark, actually, but Norway, Russia, and this part. And as you say, it's vulnerable, it's cold, so an accident will be much worse there, effect there, than in the south. Um, it's militarized. We have the Russian northern fleet in Murmansk area, but it's also been energized. <laughs> so we have the biggest uh, production area for Russian oil and gas is the Yamal area in northwestern Siberia. That's where the pipelines of Russian gas are moving, moving gas to, to, to Russia and to Europe. But now they're expanding the LNG capacity in this uh, peninsula, co-financed by China. So they sell more and more LNG to Europe, which is not sanctions. So they have a lot of LNG export there, outside the pipelines. Um, and they plan to expand it even more. So it's, trade is becoming more important in this area too. And they will pass along the Norwegian coast in order to reach this market. So it will, and China is then also closer to Russia because of what is happening. And they are also involved in this area without having any border or geographic location there. But they're more and more involved. So you can see a picture that already has been a security policy issue because of the Northern Fleet and this. From the Cold War time, it has been a, an issue. But now with also this uh, economic development of the area will affect it more than just fisheries as it's been. And minerals and oil and gas will be maybe the on the top of the list, which makes it a more uh, hotspot for rivalry also been between the big big countries. So the, the 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 NATO interests in this area has been linked very much to the military part of it, but now it probably must be expanded also to, to be 
relevant for um, energy trade and other economic uh, engagement. And this affects, it doesn't really affect Norway in a direct sense, but, but our location draws us into it. So it will be as part of the Western world. We will be maybe affected by this uh, renewed or really enhanced attention in the area and and in Russia the the Arctic is a very high priority of their national interests in terms of economic and in terms of uh, strategic uh, aspects. Some students ask uh, Norway is focusing on areas around Norway and the Arctic but what about other domains for instance Africa or maybe some other oceans. Do you see any approach uh, to those areas? I think uh, I think it's more attention actually to more remote places in the world, like uh, developing countries uh, and supporting developing countries. You can discuss how effective it is, <laughs> but still we have a huge budget for supporting uh, change in and development. Uh, uh, Africa and other places, uh, developing countries definition, um, and uh, and we also have, of course, the the high ethical standard you mentioned already that we right or wrong, but uh, we think we have the right standards, <laughs> and we want to support uh, these standards uh, around the world. Right or wrong, I said, because maybe maybe it's uh, built in, in in China. They were very irritating on that, so they had uh, actually uh, closed the diplomatic relations with Norway for a while because they got Nor- the Norwegian Nobel Com- Committee gave a Nobel Prize peace prize to a Chinese dissident opposing the Chinese regime. So, uh, so, but but uh, when you talk about foreign policy in Norway. Actually, I, in my, that is my assessment, and I think we use a lot of time on more time on these remote, uh, important areas than we do on our strategic interests, like oil and gas, or even also the strategic position. I think oil and gas and the strategic position is more like the top national uh, concerns. Which are not that much discussed actually in the in the public debate. You mentioned and and many people also ask about Norway as a part of Nordic countries or Scandinavia. Can we say a few words about energy security of Scandinavia of Nord Nordic countries? Perhaps what sort of energy cooperation is among those countries, and and what's your what's your opinion about the implications for the future? But first of all, I think in Nordic countries, um, in Norway, Sweden, Denmark, we have a languages that we can read, talk with each other and read each other's uh, texts without translation. So it's very close. Like you could almost say it's dialects of the Scandinavian language. In Finland, you have a totally different language. And in Iceland, you have uh, uh, like we call old Norwegian. So it's not easy to understand, but it's so we can't speak with the Icelandic directly, but they're, well, we are all culturally 
have some many similarities uh, in NSA Northern European. And we had a Norwegian Nordic Council for like, I think from 1960 or something, which you have a cooperation between the, the countries. You had the, you could move, uh, travel without a passport long time ago, long before the single market and the Schengen agreement. Uh, and the close cooperation in many ways. In terms of energy, we have uh, had developed um, Scandinavian and then a Nordic uh, electricity market. So before opening of the market towards Europe, we had a pricing convergence in between Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and then partly Finland expanding gradually. So that's the energy cooperation that you have increased security in one way because you have more sources to take from when something happens in one part of the Scandinavian or Nordic uh, area. And you can replace it with something, something else more easily. But in terms of oil and gas, we, of course, they buy uh, Norwegian oil to the refineries, but they buy it from an, an open international market. So it's not a special deal between Norway and the other countries to do this. And natural gas is, uh, they don't get it. They have uh, the pipelines to Poland now, the Baltic pipeline, which is a side arm from the Norwegian pipeline to Germany is passing Denmark before it comes to Poland. Then you have some Norwegian gas to Denmark as part of that. But it's not a, not a very big, big uh, uh, part of the market still. So in oil and gas, we uh, would say we don't have any particular uh, uh, cooperation. Uh, but of course, when Nor when Sweden and uh, Finland becomes members of NATO, you get maybe more cooperation uh, within the NATO in this area because we share borders and common interests in that sense. And uh, but in terms of the European Union, as Norway is not part of the Union, but the others are, Iceland and Norway is not. Uh, we don't have that much of a cooperation, which it would, might change if it could change within the context of the current regime and the EEA agreement, but it hasn't <laughs> that much. Besides, we talk with each other, of course. But if Norway should become a member of the EU too, and the others also part of NATO, all we have the same uh, macro umbrella, you could say, in security policy and then economic and political affairs. Then you could imagine that you get more cooperation between the Nordic countries in terms of common interests and common values and, and, and common things that might affect uh, many areas. Uh, and uh, uh, But in terms of energy, I would say that will be maybe more like a renewable part. Sweden is more ahead of us than in renewables because they had to, <laughs> we didn't have to. Um, more types of that and electricity is still, of course, but for oil and gas and not necessarily, it will be, it doesn't have the potential to be anything special Nordic about it. But uh, LNG, for instance, is the Norwegian LNG, the small part of it, which is LNG is now going, for instance, to, to the Baltic countries. 
um, to support them. So they have replaced Russian gas with some of it from Norwegian gas and Norwegian regasification ships, because that's also shipping is also a big industry in Norway. So all this trade on boats affects Norway in many ways because of the big shipping shipping industry. One, ca- one question comes from students and they are interested in what is the nuclear energy role or profile in Norway? That's interesting. It has been, been discussed now. I think we're all, all over uh, the world that nuclear has come back more as a more considered as a more realistic uh, alternative and would actually also change the picture because it's a known technology. And uh, I heard one said that China would actually now considering the ability to produce smaller nuclear power plants for export. <laughs> so if they can do that, you can have local electricity in, in each municipality almost, it will change the like, energy world a lot. So I am not an engineer, so I don't know what the risk, but politically, after the Fukushima accident in Japan at, like 10 years ago or something, uh, I think, uh, so I understand it is not considered risky anymore. <laughs> And Finland and France is having a lot of nuclear, so they they trust it both. So if this is the case, I think nuclear is come back can can come back uh, all over the world, in Europe especially. But it has been discussed also in in Norway, uh, different types of nuclear actually also. Uh, but I think it all depends on the technology. If you need to make a nuclear power plant in a huge mega size, I don't think that's realistic in Norway uh, in foreseeable future. But if you can, if the technology becomes like at a smaller scale, it uh, will probably be discussed in a more realistic manner anywhere, probably. So, in that sense, I think we're part of uh, the rest of uh, rest of the West. Um, but of course, when we have all this energy in terms of oil and gas and water, hydropower, maybe in Norway we become a little bit more relaxed about the situation than in, especially in Eastern Europe, where you have this energy security as a political risk so up, up on, up on, up, up in front that we are more relaxed. Yeah, but we have the discussion. Yes. The last question for today's interview. You were you were researching energy security, geopolitics, political economy, and all those disciplines in related to energy and internal market, but also foreign policy. What would be your priorities for the next development of the Norwegian energy sector? That's the first question. And the second question, is there anything that Norway can do in foreign policy to secure the energy export? and relations with countries that are buying energy from Norway? Well, I think, um, but I thought for a long time, there is a resistance in Norway to, to politicize the energy sector. It is mostly about this climate split. Should we put so much money into it or not? Um, 
And so far, even after the discussions after what's happened in Ukraine and in Baltic Sea, you don't have a more what I would call the real realistic policy approach in in the debate. But of course, people are thinking about it in defense, in foreign ministry, and so on. But uh, the debate is not like that. It is not touching. This. So we are still having the emphasis on what we talked about in the developing countries and all these ethical standards that we think uh, is the best in the world, <laughs> which is maybe maybe it's a bit too too self-oriented. Actually, it's a small debate like that. Uh, we have a debate coming on the European Union membership. Some things, of course, we have split. Some things we should go in. Some should we should leave the EA agreement. That is as part of the debate. So, uh, in terms of uh, um, what Norway could uh, support, uh, I think in the official policy, it's obviously a clear wish to support European energy situation and stability. In a cooperation in all senses with the with the EU countries, uh, we can discuss how much we should have, have um, should do that. Just both in in terms of renewable investments, rather, and also how much money we should put into one single basket, uh, because this this. Industry is so profitable that it takes the attention away from other 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 sectors very much. So, so I I, I, I don't really don't I'm super, really surprised for a long time because I've been working with these issues in geopolitical sense and so on that they should actually consider this to be more important in the in the debate, but it, it is really not. There are not many people doing analyzing it and working with it either even though the word geopolitics has become very much more popular now all everywhere. It is not implemented very much in the debate. So I, I don't know if we will have a real big change on reaching attention towards the ethical ideals and towards a more realistic policy um, aspects. Uh, and let's hope Nothing will happen in, in in the North Sea or any place with the Norwegian insulation. That would change the attitude, maybe. And the support for NATO, I think, is overwhelmingly big after this this events. Like I, I would, I think, like ninety percent or more. So that is one issue that we are um, we are supporting that part of the Western cooperation entirely. That's the public. Opinion and the government policy, I think, the economic and political parts of it, we uh, we 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 treat it still as a domestic issue and not a foreign policy issue, um, which again, I, it might be a good policy for a small state to have a low. Low, uh, not 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 a bragging way of. Doing it is good, I think, in many ways. But still, we have to be 
concerned that we are actually involved in the big high politics because of the size of our reserves and, and, and exports. Professor Gunnar Ostwick, thank you very much for your time, insights and comments. And it was fascinating to speak with you about geopolitics and energy of Norway. I think this topic is going to merge as more and more topic for research and international relations as Norway is increasing energy export. And uh, I encourage junior researchers and researchers to have a look at Norway fascinating country i visited many times and um, i just i just like speaking about norway because it's a it's also a country of paradoxes you know as, as professors mentioned high energy prices and high energy resources that, that's that's one aspect but there are more so thank you very much professor gunnar ostwick it was a pleasure to have you and i wish you good luck with all the research energy for your next steps in teaching and researching Norwegian and international energy relations. Thank you again. Thank you very much. See you next time.